if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. You're listening to Oh Brother, When Art Thou? And now here's your host, Neil White. Welcome to Oh Brother, When Art Thou? I'm Neil White, joined as always by my brother David. And David, it's been a while since we've done a podcast. Welcome back. It has been a while. Good to be back, Neil. If everyone's been missing us, that's my fault. I moved apartments, so I haven't been able to get behind the microphone. But we're back. We're doing this again. Great to be here. And uh, David, you got another bit of history to tell us about? I might, Neil. It's possible. All right, then I'll ask the question. Oh, brother, when art thou? Neil, it's April 13th, 1945. For the past few months, the Canadian army has been sweeping across the Netherlands, liberating them from Nazi tyranny. Now they're approaching yet another natural obstacle, the River Isel. The key to moving their forces across the river is the town of Zwolle, built beside a bridge over a natural ford in the river. But the Nazi forces have dug in inside the town, and the Canadians' traditional artillery-heavy tactics will risk a civilian bloodbath if they're used. The word comes down from HQ. Send a patrol to reconnoiter the approaches to the town and try and make contact with the local Dutch resistance. This will be a very dangerous mission. Wow, so World War II, we know there's a lot of great stories from this period in history, and this sounds like it's going to be one. We've got Canadians attacking a Dutch town held by the Nazis. Uh, They need to get across the river. Is the bridge still there, David? The bridge is still there at this point, but ultimately with a good natural ford and the amazing bridging capacities that the Canadian army has developed, this is late in the war. They've crossed a number of rivers in Holland. With a good natural ford, they'll be able to get across. So the problem is really getting rid of the Nazis and they like to just bomb them, artillery uh, use artillery bombs to get rid of them, but they can't because of the Dutch population that's there. So they're going to meet up with the Dutch resistance. Is the Dutch resistance strong in this area, David? It's always hard to analyze how strong the resistance movements in Europe were in any specific point because the resistance obviously had to be deeply secret until after the war when everybody wanted to claim to have been a member. So that can make it very difficult for a historian to really analyze professionally whether any given resistance movement was numerically strong or weak. But certainly the Dutch resistance was extremely committed, extremely brave, and much larger than you might think reading popular histories which focus on resistance groups in France or Norway or Yugoslavia, which are better known. And so this is going to be an extremely dangerous mission. Do they have volunteers or guys picked for this mission, David? Who ends up being a part of this Canadian mission to meet up with the Dutch resistance? Well, as it happens, the regiment that is at the tip of the spear at this point, at the front of the Canadian forces, is Le Régiment de Chaudière. A Quebecois regiment. The French name kind of gives away that it's a Quebecois regiment. It does. But more importantly to our story, they've already got a 
famous within the Canadian forces, at least, sniper but also scout who has already succeeded on some astoundingly dangerous missions. His name is Leo Major, and of course, with a mission of this importance, he's the guy they're going to choose. Is Leo Major a major? He's not. He's a private. Oh, darn. That would have been great. It would have been great, but it is not to be. But before we go on, I've just got a quick question for you, Neil. How many eyes would you consider to be necessary for a sniper? I would think that snipers usually have to have pretty good depth perception to be able to uh, shoot people at a long distance. So you need the two eyes to be able to have that depth perception, do you not? Well, many people would certainly agree with you, Neil. But Leo Major joined the Canadian forces early in the war from Montreal. That's his hometown. Moved to Britain and trained with them as a sniper. And on D-Day, he deployed with his regiment as a scout sniper, fought valiantly in the initial stages of the Normandy campaign, personally captured a German half-track. But then, a few days after D-Day, tragedy struck. He was on patrol, one of his early scout patrols, and he ran across four elite SS troops who were advancing to meet the Canadians in battle. And he happened to stumble across them at close range. Both groups were surprised. He managed to kill all four by himself. My goodness. Before he got the last of these troops, one of them managed to pull a phosphorus grenade and pull the pin. Now, white phosphorus is an extremely nasty weapon. In point of fact, since World War II, it's actually been outlawed under international treaties. But at that time, it was still used by both armies. It's an incendiary weapon, very similar to napalm. And it burnt off half of Leo Major's face. Ouch, that doesn't sound good. He stayed in the army after having half of his face burnt off by a white phosphorus grenade? He lost an eye and had to use an eye patch for the rest of his life. And he actually not only stayed in the army, he insisted on remaining a sniper when they tried to change his, you know, his specialty because they thought like you did that a sniper would require both eyes. But he insisted that he only used one eye to look through the sniper's scope on his rifle anyway. And they accepted that. And he went back to being a sniper and had arrived back to his regiment in time for the Scheldt campaign. That's an amazing backstory, David. That sounds like a story all in its own. And what a terrible thing to happen to Leo Major and for him to still be fighting and now to be chosen for this dangerous mission in the Netherlands. Well, before we reach that dangerous mission... Okay, there's more? There's more. When I ended that, we were starting the Scheldt campaign. Now, during the Scheldt campaign, he fought valiantly again, became, as I've said, really a legend within his regiment and his brigade and even his division, very well known. I've found a source, the Ottawa Citizen, so not an entirely unreliable source, which says that he was actually offered a medal at this point and turned it down because he had objections to 
Field Marshal Montgomery who would have been issuing it. I couldn't find any corroboration for that, but that's the story. But moving along, at this point, he happened to be helping a military chaplain who was burying dead German soldiers. And they were moving the German soldiers in a Bren gun carrier when they ran over an anti-tank mine. It exploded, the chaplain was killed, and Leo Major had his back broken in at least two places. The doctors attempted to pull him off of active service and put him onto medical discharge from the army. He went absent without leave from the hospital and snuck back to his regiment to keep fighting. So with a broken back, the doctors wanted to send him home, and he refused. He went back to the Netherlands to continue the fight. That's right. And now he's going to be leading this dangerous mission to meet up with the Dutch resistance. And now, yes, the Canadian army, moving from the very slow-moving, brutal Scheldt campaign is advancing more rapidly across the rest of Holland and they've reached the river Isel. It's a strategic problem. They need to be able to cross it, but they don't want to bombard the town. And so they're turning to Leo Major because that's who who you turn to in these situations. Well, it sure sounds like it. He sounds like the kind of guy who gets things done, uh, although it doesn't always end with him in one piece. So what does he do to uh, make contact with the Dutch resistance? Well, the actual mission that they give him is to scout the approaches to the town, looking to see if there's a good way in, a good way for the Canadian troops to enter with minimal risk, and also, if possible, to make contact with the Dutch resistance and see if they can help. Now, those orders could be interpreted in multiple different ways. Scouting the approaches might imply staying back, not actually entering the town. But maybe a bolder soldier looking at the contact, the Dutch resistance element to it, might decide he wanted to take this a little bit further, actually see how far into the town he could get. I'm going to guess that Leo Major is a bolder soldier. Leo Major is a bolder soldier. And for this mission, he doesn't want to bring a large group because he wants to be infiltrating, sneaking around. A large force is going to be detected. But he's a sniper, so he brings his spotter with him. His best friend, a guy called Willie Arsenault. And what's Willie Arsenault's backstory, David? Well, that's a little bit more prosaic. He was a lumberjack in Quebec before the war, signed up, became a spotter in the Canadian sniper training system, worked with several different snipers before becoming Leo Major's standard partner and friend. And around the time of the Scheldt campaign, they started working together on a regular basis, and he got a reputation for being almost as bold as his partner, though perhaps slightly less beaten up. All right, so what do these guys do, David? So they're sneaking into the town. It's after sunset by this point, 13th of April, 1945. They're sneaking in. Both of them have taken off their combat boots and are wearing sneakers so that they'll be making less noise. But it's not enough. Somehow, Willie Arsenault makes a sound. Maybe a tiny sound, but it doesn't matter. The German sentries on the approaches to the town hear it. 
and opened fire, killing him practically instantly. Wow. So Willie Arsenault has been killed by the Nazis. What does Leo Major do? Leo Major immediately returns fire. He kills the, the entire Nazi outpost that just killed Willie Arsenault. But that's not enough. He picks up Arsenault's submachine gun. Canadian spotters typically carried a submachine gun to give them more close-range firepower to match the sniper with long-range firepower that they worked with. And he goes into the town, and now he's barely even focusing on his mission to try and make contact with the Dutch resistance or scout the approaches. Now he's hunting Nazis. My goodness, with his scout dead, Leo Major, a decorated and revered Canadian sniper, is now in a Dutch town filled with Nazis, out for revenge. He's out for blood. And, by all accounts, he is beginning to get it. He hunts through the town, just anywhere that he can find the enemy. Sometimes he snipes them from long range using his rifle. Sometimes he bursts in on them at close range, even inside buildings, using the Sten gun to just blaze out that short range firepower and cut them down. He starts taking grenades. He didn't have grenades initially, but he starts taking them off of the bodies of the German soldiers he's already killed and using them to eliminate other German outposts. All through the town, the Germans start to believe that they're under intense assault from a very large force. So the Germans think the entire Canadian army is coming down on them, basically, but it's just Leo Major. It's Leo Major. And at this point comes the element that truly makes him famous. He captures, by accident, a German officer who happened to be in one of the outposts that he was killing his way through. And this officer turns out to speak French from his time occupying France with the Nazis. And of course, Leo Major is from Montreal. He speaks French, that's his native language. And Leo Major tells this German officer that the Canadian army is coming, they're already launching their initial assault, and their plan is to drive in the German pickets, retreat, and then flatten the entire town, German soldiers and civilians alike, with artillery in just a desperate need for revenge that he claims that a Canadian general has. And he tells this officer that he's actually trying to warn him, trying to tell him to flee while he can, because he, Leo Major, actually disapproves of this entirely fictional course of action. So Leo Major makes up a story that the Canadians are going to raise the town and just destroy everything to scare this German officer? And then he lets him go. It's a bold move, but it pays off. Because the German officer, when he reaches the rest of his troops, tells them, the Canadians are coming, they've got no mercy, they're already killing our outline outposts with devastating efficiency, it's time to flee. And that devastating efficiency is just Leo Major. Is just Leo Major. And the rest of the German force in the town agrees, and they evacuate across the river. And the next morning, the 14th of April, at 7 a.m., 10 hours after this mission started, 
Leo Major turns up in his regiment's lines, asked to report to the colonel, and his report is, all enemy have left the town. Leo Major single-handedly captured a strategic Dutch town for the Canadians against the Nazis. That is correct. David, if you told me that this was a Hollywood movie that some writer had made up, I would think that that made a lot of sense. But you're telling me this is all true. I am telling you, Neil, that you can look up the London Gazette and they list the medals issued by the British Army and why they were issued. And you can find Leo Major awarded the DCM for liberating the town of Zwall by himself. That has to be the most incredible story of heroism in World War II that I have ever heard. A single soldier with only one eye, single-handedly devastating a Nazi army dug in to a Dutch town and then convincing them to walk out of town so that the Canadians could capture it. That is truly an unbelievable story, David. And while you're still here, just one quick little postscript to that. Leo Major survived the war. He left the Canadian Army at the end of the war. In 1950, the Canadian Army began recruiting for a new special all-volunteer force, a brigade they would be sending to Korea to take part in the Korean War. One of the first volunteers to join up was Leo Major. He was promoted to sergeant, I might add, by this point. And he actually won a second DCM, Distinguished Conduct Medal, making him the only Canadian soldier to win two Distinguished Conduct Medals in two separate wars. And the second Distinguished Conduct Medal that he won, he won when he personally retook a hill leading a specially selected platoon of snipers from a Chinese division and then held it against repeated counterattacks as the mortar fire was dropping so close. I've got the quote here from the mortar officer who was supporting him. They had a special radio used to call for this kind of support and it had a noise canceling headset designed to make sure that if there are any loud noises your voice would still be audible to the artillery officer receiving it and the mortar officer says this was the only time in my entire experience either in the second world war or in the korean war where i could hear the explosions of the bombs that i was firing through the radio of the man, the officer calling for support. So I asked him, do you want me to move the barrage farther away from your position? And he said, no, we need it to come closer. If we're going to hold this hill, we need your barrage in closer. Wow, so they're calling in mortar fire almost on top of their position extremely close to try and hold off the Chinese forces who are counterattacking the hill they just took. That sounds like another incredible story again with Leo Major, this Canadian sniper. This one-eyed Canadian sniper, I think I should mention. 
Wow, David, that is an incredible story of true courage and really a Canadian hero who's really should be in a Hollywood movie, I think. It's, yeah, absolutely. It is a crazy story, but it's all true, I swear. Thanks for telling us, David. I was so happy to share this one, Neil. Well, we've come to the point in the podcast where we usually play a game and do a little quiz. Are you up for a quiz, David? I suppose you could talk me into a quiz, Neil. All right, people who are listening won't know this, but we're actually recording this on Saturday night. It's just a real fun Saturday night around here. So I thought, uh, why not do a Saturday quiz? So all of these questions are about Saturdays. David, are you up for a Saturday night party? Saturday night's all right for fighting. All right, first question. In the Balkans, it is believed that people born on Saturdays are able to see what? What would people born on Saturdays be able to see that people on born on other days of the week can't? I'm assuming that it's not something that everybody can see. I'll guess fairies? Good guess. It's actually vampires. They believe that People born on Saturdays can see vampires when they are otherwise invisible. It's uh, tied into an old folklore belief that Saturday was the preferred day to hunt vampires because they are restricted to their coffins on Saturdays. So if you're going vampire hunting, bring somebody with you who was born on a Saturday. Huh. All right. Saturday is also the day when they traditionally play American college football games. For example, on Saturday, October 6th, 1934, the annual rivalry matchup between Michigan and Michigan State was notable for this historical figure who played center for Michigan. 1934. Yeah, college football question for you, David. I know you're a big fan of college football. Yeah, I'm trying to think who would be the right age to be playing college football in 1934 and a notable historic figure since we were doing a podcast on world war ii maybe i'll guess dwight eisenhower that's a good guess it is an american president it was gerald ford he played eight games for michigan that year and they voted him the team's mvp in 1934 impressive uh in 1929 on what came to be known as black saturday Around eight Samoans were killed during a procession by the Mao movement, a nonviolent movement for Samoan independence from which country? 1929? Yeah, this is 1929. The Samoans were marching for independence from which country? I've heard of American Samoa. Perhaps they were marching from independence from the United States? This one was a bit surprising to me. They were actually looking for independence from the colonial rule of New Zealand. Ha! Huh. Fair enough. Not a well-known colonial power, but uh, New Zealand did, I guess, have power over Samoa, and eventually it did become free. Saturday mornings, though, are known for their kids' cartoons. Perhaps the best ever Saturday morning cartoon was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're named after which historical figures, David? Just the, the category, not you don't have to give me the actual names. <laughs> I don't have to list all of the Renaissance painters they're named after and give you a few examples of their greatest works. Well, you could if you wanted, but yeah, you are right that they're named after Italian Renaissance painters. Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael are the Ninja Turtles. 
for anyone who wasn't watching Saturday morning cartoons as a kid. And uh, moving on to Saturday nights, of course, they're all about the parties, the fever, if you will. How many Bee Gees songs appear in the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever? Taking you back to the disco era, David. Indeed. I do not know very much about Saturday Night Fever, but I know that they've got at least one Bee Gees song in there, so I'll go with one. Too low, David. There's actually six in total. Staying Alive, How Deep Is Your Love, Night Fever, More Than a Woman, You Should Be Dancing, and Jive Talking. Six Bee Gees songs on the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever. So that's our Saturday quiz. David, uh, I guess it's time to go enjoy Saturday night. Indeed. Before you take off to enjoy your Saturday night, make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. And on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, our handle is at WhenArtThou. Online, you can find us obrother.ca. And if you want to send us an email, obrotherwhenartthou at outlook.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>